I tell you what, uh, Deb, she was early on at the table when we were discussing as a city what do we do to the homeless. She talked about AST, the adult services team. Dr. Buddha was a gentleman who lived in a van on the streets of our city for 15 years. Had severe, he was, he was, had a number of medical issues and he came to AST and I thought as a cop, I'm sitting there as a, as a captain of the police department, no way this guy's gonna come off the streets. He just will, he's not gonna be compliant. A few years ago, I was sitting at the bus depot in Corvallis and he walks up and he says, you know, I've been housed for 10 years. And I thought, oh my goodness, isn't God good? He is, and this is, you know, this really does weave into what we're going to talk about today in Genesis because it's, we, we talk about making disciples. That's what God called us to do, but to be able to make disciples, we've got to be in the right frame of mind and in the right place. And last week, if you were out at the farm, you, talked, you heard me speak about how Jacob came halfway with God. God had called him back to Bethel. He had been away for 20 years serving Laban and serving the world and making riches. And God had blessed him, and he's on his way back. And he's supposed to go back to Bethel, and he ends up 31 miles short. He takes a left turn on God and he ends up at a place called Succoth and then a place called Shechem. And when he was in Shechem, he was in the middle of the world and the world treated him like he treats anybody and he trashed Jacob and his family. And in the end of it, we see Jacob standing there at the end of chapter 34 saying, what have you done? His daughter had been raped. His sons had committed murder. And he said, all the people around me are going to be after him. And then we come to chapter 35. And we're going to see God got a hold of Jacob because of what he went through. It was a terrible thing that his family had to go through because he only went halfway with God. He wasn't where God absolutely wanted him to be, which was that. And so God comes back and he says, are you... Can you hear me now? Have I got your attention? Sometimes God does that with us, doesn't he? Sometimes he has to repeat what he told us. Because all the way back in chapter 32, God had called him to Bethel. And then in 35, he comes back. And I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 35. And he says this, Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel, And live there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away your foreign gods which are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. 
And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings that were on their ears. And Jacob hid under the oak which was there near Shechem. God called him back to Bethel. And finally, Jacob figures out it. But you know what's interesting to me? God's plan is not complicated. He says, Jacob, go to Bethel and build an altar there. Return to your place. He, he didn't say, okay, now I want you to gather. He, he didn't make it. We would, today we would have focus meetings and we would have shareholders meetings and we would have to come up with a purpose statement and a plan of action before we ever got. And he said, no, Jacob, go to Bethel. It's not complicated. God's plan is never complicated. Matter of fact, the plan that he gave to us fits perfectly with exactly what Deb was talking about. When he got ready to leave the disciples and he's standing on the Mount of Ascension and he turns around and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Hard lesson, isn't that one? Go make disciples. Not just right next door, but of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to what? Observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's not a hard thing to follow. Matter of fact, in another parallel passage, he even says, oh, listen, I'm going to give you the formula. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Why do we support missions right here in Albany? Because God called us to Albany, Oregon. But he didn't just call us here. Where else did he call us? He called us to Yamhill, Oregon, where Five Rock Ranch is. He called us to Cambodia, where AIM is. He called us to Casa de Fe in Ecuador. He called us to Haiti. He's called us to all those places and we're following his command. It's simple. It's not a hard... And he says it's not complicated. Jacob, get going. Head on down to Bethel where, where I've told you to go. Jesus, when he was speaking, the, the Pharisees, they were famous for making all of their rules, right? Don't drink or chew or go with any girls who do. <laughs> Theirs was a little more formalized than that. And they said, what's the greatest commandment? We got the big ten. We got the sad seven. We've got all of these, all of these commands. And Jesus said, what? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend, what? The whole law and all the prophets. It's not complicated. Love God and love others. You get the vertical going, horizontal comes easy. He says, don't sit around. Don't sit around in your church doing the vertical and not do the horizontal. 
You can't do one without the other. You got to have the vertical correct first, but then get out there and get working. Go. It literally says, while you're going. And that's what Jacob did. But the interesting thing about Jacob is he had, he, he told his family, we're going to do three things. Did you catch that in there? He says, I want you to do three things. First of all, he said, remove your idols. You guys remember the story. Rachel was getting ready to go and she snuck back to dad's house and he stole, she stole all of daddy's idols. Stuck them underneath. The, when Laban came, she, she stuck them underneath the camel's saddle and she said, what you talking about? She stole them. And in the years that followed, what did they worship? They worshiped the idols that Rachel had stolen. And so God said, or, or Jacob said, listen, we got to get rid of these. And I'm sure they picked up other ones, other idols from the countries or the places that they had visited, idols from Succoth, items from, idols from Shechem. And he said, we got to get rid of them. And we have idols. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. You might want to ask yourself, what's my idol? I don't know. Is it money? Is it the big house? Is it the, the position in the community? What, it, our idols can take the place of God. And he says, we've got to get rid of them. And they brought them. He said they brought them the idols. And it was interesting, they brought them the rings. Isn't that kind of, you're like, what did he bring? Because that was a symbol that was a symbol of whatever idol they served. And so they took their earrings out. They didn't want to identify with anything, any, uh, anything other than God. And they brought those idols. Well, the second thing he says, purify yourself. And I don't think he meant to go take a bath. He said, purify yourself. Confess your sin. Get it out. Psalms 91 is, is David when he got called out by Nathan on the sin with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah, Nathan calls him out, and this is what he writes. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Where do we fall? We fall on our knees and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And you're the only one that can save me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I, know my, for I know my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. He said, I need a bath. I'm dirty with the sin of the world. Clean me up. And later on in that passage, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the inner parts. You make me know wisdom. You know, we're pretty good at hiding things whether you hide it behind a mask or maybe it's that little closet you have inside your heart that says nobody knows the sin but God does and he says I'm going to open the door to that closet where all the skeletons hang and then he says purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow you see, God wants to clean, he, clean us up, but we've got to confess that sin. We have to come to him. And, and here's one thing, folks. 
when you've confessed sin, you've gotten that good bath from God, drain the tub. Drain the tub. Because the next time you sin, you don't want to get back in that dirty water by remembering everything that you already confessed. God took care of it. Drain the tub. Let it go. Let God clean you. And then go forth. Are you going to sin again? You bet. We all sin. James tells us that. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Because we're all going to sin. But then we get back in the bathtub and we get clean all over again. Confession is one of those things. John, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And what? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jacob said to his family, I want to go to Bethel with a clean heart. Just like the priests had to go and wash themselves before they could enter the temple, he said, we're going to go back to God, and when we do, we're going to be clean. We're going to be, we're going to confess. And then he said, change your clothes. And I kind of had a question about that when I was reading that. Change your clothes. Why did he want them to change their clothes? I was in Australia and uh, the, when I was in college, and one of the interesting things was I could walk down the street and I could not say a word, and they'd say, good morning, mate. You from America? And I'm like, what? And they said, I knew it. I said, how did you know I was from America? By your clothes. You're not wearing Australian clothes. They don't, they don't have Levi's over there. And I was wearing a pair of Levi's. And this guy looked down. He saw the kind of shirt I was wearing and the Levi's I was wearing. He knew I was from America. You see, that's what we do when we get around the world. We start looking like the world, don't we? We want to wear the, what the world's wearing because we, will, we don't want to stand out. And that's exactly what had happened, is they had started wearing clothes that were just like all the rest of the world that they were living in, because they didn't want anybody to know where they were from. Well, God has called us to be a peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean we got to go out and, and, and wear some special garment that, that's made for, for Christmas. He does want us to be different. We need to quit doing the things of the world. And that's what he was saying. You don't have to look like the world. You don't have to look like the world reacts. Yeah, and it's funny to watch Facebook, right? Something happens and everybody, whoa! The world's coming to an end. Well, I got news for you. I knew that a long time ago. The world's going to end. But I don't have to fear. God, 30, 365 times God said, fear not. And we're not to fear because we know what's happening. We know what God is doing. We do not have to react like the world. And how do we change our clothes? How do we quit acting like the world? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable 
and perfect. You know, I can remember growing up, uh, I grew up in a, in a, in a, a uh, home that listened to country and western. But I grew up in the 70s, I got uh, at high school, anybody remember what we were listening to in the 70s? Rock and roll. Right? Black Sabbath, Kiss, you name it. You know, it was, a, it was, and we had in our locker room, most of you know, you know, I played school so that I could go to football. And uh, in our locker room, we had a stereo, and we would be listening to this, and and as a Christian, I started listening to the words. I mean, not just, just rock and roll, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll, right? That was, I, you know, the words were, I was like, what am I listening to? I started listening to the words of the country songs. And I'm like, what am I listening to? And so it, I'm not listening to that stuff anymore. Christian music. And lo and behold, what started happening to my mind? It started getting purified. Because, because the word of God was flowing through my mind, through the music I was listening to. Pretty soon, all of those lyrics about all of the stuff of the world was going away. Wow. God can transform your mind just by what you listen to? By what you look, to, look at on television? By what you're reading? Absolutely God says, transform your mind. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us do what? Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to be like Jesus. We're to have laser focus on God and not on all this other stuff. I, I guarantee you folks, if you sat and you listened to every opinion that's out there today on what's good and what's wrong, your mind is going to be so fogged up you're not going to know which way to go. But we have, we need to focus in on what God says. God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. That's what we need to be focused on. Well, Genesis 5 through, uh, 35, 5 through 8 tells us the next step for Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel. He finally makes it back to God. Which is the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God was revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak, and it was named Alanon Bakuth. Two things I want to pull out of here. Number one, he called the place what? God of the house of God. Remember what he called the last altar he built? God, the God of Israel. My God. Now he calls it what? Oh, God of the house of God. The same 
person that we call the great I am. That's whose God I serve. The God, not the God that, that serves me, but the God that, that in his house. The second thing I want you to see is that Deborah dies. Jacob is reminded of the consequences of running away from God. Now, this little verse that's tucked in here, Deborah, the nurse of Rebekah, his mom, Jacob's mom, dies there. When Jacob ran away, when Jacob was sent away by his mother in, in chapter 27, Rebekah said this, Stay with him. She sends him to Laban. Stay with him a few days, a few days. You catch that? Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Rebecca only thought Jacob was going to be gone for a few days. Twenty years have passed. This is a reminder to us Jacob never saw his mother again. The consequences of your sin and running away from God caused him to never see his mother again. Deborah, her nurse, comes and lives with Jacob at the end of her life and he buries her at Bethel underneath a tree. Oh, the consequences of our sin, people. If we, can, if we can keep one person from, from, doing, from being in sin to the place that, that those consequences are there, what glory that will be. We need to be always looking to God and saying, God, I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to make the mistake of running from you because there's consequences of that. Yes, God forgives us the penalty of our sin but we don't always escape this is of our sin. Well, let's look at verses 35, 9 through 15. And he says, Jacob appeared, God appeared to Jacob. Again, when he came from Padaram and he blessed him, and God said, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you, and the king shall come forth from you, and the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give you the land for your descendants after you. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up an altar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured out oil on it. And so Jacob named the place that God had spoken to him Bethel. God is going to renew the covenant. One more time, remember the covenant that came to Abraham all years ago? He, he renews it with Jacob. He says, listen, I told Abraham that he was going to have a son. And it wasn't going to be Ishmael, it was going to be Isaac. It was your daddy. That was who that was going to come through. 
His father Isaac is where the promise came and he told Isaac, he said, Isaac, I'm going to give you a son and, and it's going to be the second born son and his name's going to be Jacob and the, the older is going to rule over the younger, the younger is going to rule over the, the older. It's not going to be through Esau, it's going to be through Jacob. And he says, Jacob, this is yours. This is your covenant, your promise. And he promised him the, the land and the people and the blessing. And once again, he renews all three of those to Jacob. And he changes his name. Now, remember when he wrestled? And he says, I'm not going to turn you loose until you give me a blessing. And God, and God changed his name back then, but it didn't really stick. We don't see. We, still, he's still called Jacob. But this time, God, it says God changed his name. You're now Israel. Contender with God. You're Israel. He changed his name. He reaffirms the covenant with, with Abraham and he had or with Jacob, but he had to wait until he got to do that. When he got I touched you all the way back here, but then you forgot. You made that hard left turn. You didn't follow me to Bethel like I told you to do. We could have done this a long time ago, but you didn't. Listen to me. And he says, now that you finally listen to me, I want you to understand you're a different man. You're no longer going to be Jacob the schemer. You're going to be one that contends for God. And he changes his name. And I want you to look at the end of the story. Because even though he changes his name, I want you to watch what happens. Beginning in verse 16, and they journeyed from Bethel and they were there. They were still some distance to go to Epaphra, which is Bethlehem. They're headed to Bethlehem. And Rachel began to give birth and she suffered severe labor. And when she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, do not fear. Do not fear. Imagine that coming from God's ear to this, this midwife. Do not fear. For now you have another son. And it came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father named him Ben-Amin, son of my right hand, the one who will sit right next to me. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar for her over her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And then Israel, notice the new name. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it came about while Israel was dwelling in the land that Reuben went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now there were 12 sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, were Dan and Nephtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid was Gad and Asher, and these are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padaram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kira Arabeth, which is Hebron, 
where Abraham and Isaac had journeyed. And now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, an old man of ripe age, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Where's Jacob? He's in the center of God. He's doing exactly what God had called him to do. And yet look at, the end, look at what happens in his life. Sometimes when you're in the center of God's will, it still doesn't mean you will not suffer loss. His beloved Rachel dies on the way, giving birth to a son. I mean, Rachel was the one he loved the minute he set eyes on her. Some of you have been married, I know, 60 plus years. And you, or that man sitting next to you is the love of your life. That was Jacob. Rachel dies on the journey in childbirth. Reuben, his oldest son, who should be the heir to all to everything. He goes out and commits adultery with one of his concubines, one of Jacob's concubines. Man, the betrayal of your eldest son. And then his dad dies. Isaac dies. He doesn't get to spend years and years with Isaac at the end of his life. He gets there just in time to see his dad die. And then he buries him with his brother. Folks, don't think you'll escape this world without sorrow, without suffering loss, because that's part of our life. I want you to look at 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Beginning of verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because, what? He cares for you. Be in sober spirit. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered what? A little while. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, Strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, there is going to be loss in our lives. We are going to suffer things. that Things that all the world suffers. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean cancer doesn't come in your life. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to suffer, suffer the loss of a loved one. 
Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard things. But when you go through hard things, remember this, just a little while. For just a little while, in the light of eternity, this, this time we spend here on earth is just a little while. And God is in the midst of perfecting you, confirming you, strengthening you, and establishing you. That's what he's doing. Get, don't get all upset when things come into your life. Just look to Jesus. What, what did we learn already? The author and the perfecter of our faith. We're going to look to him. You know... I am so glad that Jesus didn't look going to go through. He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. When we, when we come to celebrate, we understand that Jesus knew what was coming. But he didn't shrink from it. You see, the night that he was betrayed, it says he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is what's coming for me, folks. Disciples. I'm going to be. But remember it because it's how much I love you. And then he took the cup and he said, This is my blood that is, that is spilt for you, that is poured out for you, the new covenant for the remission of sin. Do this often as you do in remembrance of me. You see, Jesus looked and he said, I know I've got to go to the cross. But I'm willing to do that because I love you so much. I want you to remember that when you come to communion. Because just like I love you, I want you to love the world. down at Monteith Park they need something to eat those a new to them coat because it's cold those who come for Christmas gifts because they know that's the only Christmas gift they're going to get why do we do that because it's God's love being poured out to the world just like he poured his love out to us and he showed it on the cross.